Well, good morning, everybody, and a big hello to uh, Proximity Church, all of you there. Um, it's great to be involved with you as a community. My name, so most of you will know me, my name's Roger Ellis. I am the leader of the 24-7 Communities Network, where I work with the team, Jill Weber and others. And it's uh, my great joy to be involved with you as a community, a little more than, than others, helping your leaders and helping you plan and envision and look at the future. And so I enjoy that immensely and enjoy the friendships that, are, that come out of that. And I want to pray that God continues to, to bless you and to make the most of all the investments that he's put in you as a community. There are so many things about your life as a church that are suited to this time, despite the restrictions and not being able to meet and eat. Um, smaller groups, relational groups, great opportunities for us at this time to share the love of Jesus with those that are around us. So, um, sorry I'm not with you in per uh, person. I really look forward to the future when we can be together again. And uh, in the meantime, rest assured, I'm behind the scenes involved and talking with Charles and Christy, Rob, Sally, others, your leadership team, and we're praying together, etc. So I'm here to support you as a community and available to you. And so it's quite fun to be speaking this morning on finance, which is not a subject that I often get asked to uh, speak on, but it's something that I think is really incredibly important to our lives. And, and I think this morning what I want to do is to share um, very practically, um, you know, there's a lot you could teach on finances from the scripture. There's a lot in the Old Testament, out in the New Testament, how you interpret those together, all sorts of things uh, that I can teach. We will, obviously, we'll refer to scripture this morning, uh, but I'm going to just uh, uh, share some personal stories, sh share about the journey that my wife Maggie and I have had together through the 35 years of our marriage and the kind of way that we've made decisions uh, around the areas of finance and I hope that they'll be useful and what we'll do we'll, we'll break into groups at different times you can have you know a good amount of time discussing together praying for each other and then we'll take it from there. So Core principles, I mean, I think that when we look at this area of giving, the first principle that we want to look at is, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's the declaration of the psalmist. And I think many uh, New Testament commentators have said, you know, we, we seek first the kingdom of God. It's not this. The issue isn't, OK, I've been given all my money and I need to give a proportion back to God. Really, the principle is, you know, the earth is the Lord's, everything is the Lord's, all that we have, every breath that we had is God's. And so the question is, how much should we hold on to? Now, <laughs> I mean, I think that's a very radical and a, and a really important way of looking at things. Uh, but I want to go into some of the practice around what that looks like, bearing in mind our practice has not been perfect. Um, there are people that are far uh, more probably sacrificial and spiritual than we've been over the years, but hopefully you know, this will be helpful and really useful to you. I think it's clear that giving has always, uh, in the within the Christian faith tradition, has always been a key part of worship. And as I say, we see this in both Old Testament 
and New Testament. And, and giving is broader than just finances. Finances are really important. Uh, and there's something wrong if our uh, giving and our worship doesn't affect our pockets. I think it's Wesley, there's an interesting quote from Wesley, I can't quite remember, but, you know, he's basically saying, well, you should know when someone is, uh, you know, growing in God or growing in Christ and discipleship because their pocket is impacted. And if the pocket isn't impacted, one questions quite whether their commitment to Jesus is. But, you know, it's not just about giving and finance, you know, uh, uh, giving is about the, the whole of our lives. You know, just this week, Margaret and I had our 35th wedding anniversary and we looked at the Tuesday, which was our anniversary. And, you know, in the afternoon, I had a 24-7 Europe-wide leaders thing, which was not great planning. And then in the evening, there was a friend of mine from fishing who I've been sharing faith with and nurturing and leading on. And uh, I was attending Alpha with him. And I could have easily said to him, you know, do do Alpha yourself. but you know, Mar we, Margaret and I, we sat together, we agreed, you know what, we, we were, we'd we like to do that. So she did the, the revelation, uh, our, our small group, and I did Alpha, and we had breakfast out together in the morning. Uh, and, and that was our giving. That was our giving to God. That was our giving to the individuals that we were serving. Now, I know we've all got to be careful. We have to put boundaries in place. There is a time to say no. But I think that's an illustration to show that, you know, throughout our lives, uh, giving in, involves a whole breadth of things. And I think, you know, in the Old Testament, you know, giving is a sacrificial thing. I was reading an Old Testament commentator that said, you know, the Old Testament sacrifices that were brought to the temple, that the symbolism behind it is not so much on, you know, that it's the bloodshed that, you know, propitiates the sin, that the point of the offering was that, you know, it was a, an offering that was without blemish, that was perfect that was a high cost that that was um something that you really missed giving away you were giving it to god and that's the whole uh, you know imagery with jesus god sacrificed jesus you know god gave the ultimate paid the ultimate price uh to, to see us redeemed and saved and all of that and so um you know it's it's sacrificial that's a that's a great old testament principle you know, not all of the Old Testament principles should we reproduce in the new because we're under a new covenant. Um, and as I say, the Old Testament, they had offerings, they had tithes and wave offerings and this offering and that offering. I read one commentator who said that by the time you put all the offerings together, it was about 33% of the income, you know, which is fairly radical. So you know, we say in the new, it's not right, is it, somehow that you end up in the New Testament saying, well, you know, everything is the laws, it's radical. Uh, but then actually in terms of financial giving, you end up giving less than the the, the, the old covenant. And some people criticise tithing. Don't they? they say, well, you know, 10% is a bit legalistic. You know, it's a bit Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. But I have noticed over the years that churches that, that, that do tithing often get more giving than those that, that are under the grace of the New Testament. Surely the grace of the New Testament should take us beyond that so what i'm not i'm not advocating tithing but i am saying do you know what it's quite a healthy principle in some ways to look at a regular proportion it doesn't have to be 10 percent. i like the old testament principle of first fruits you know when the harvest comes in from the first bit of the harvest you give you give a generous good whack to god i like that idea 
um, that idea, you know, when when we've had investment, when we've had things come back from our lake and the business that we've done, we've, we've sort of given a first fruits whack at the beginning. I, I kind of like, I think that's kind of a nice idea. It's saying that, you know, when something new comes off or something big happens or something good happens, you know, we want to recognize God right at the beginning. We want to bless God right at the beginning. We want to recognize God's presence right at the beginning. So I think there are some great principles that the Spirit can help us reinterpret in in this culture that, that are situated in the Old Testament, but we're not bound by those in some ways. Uh, so I think, you know, when we look at giving to, um, you know, sometimes when we come to Christ or we come to faith, our lives are in a, a bit of a mess. They need reordering and our attitudes. I don't think there's any of us. It doesn't matter whether we have a lot or don't have a lot, whether we're in debt or not in debt, or whether we're good at giving or good at saving or whether we're, you know, recklessly generous uh, or um, somewhat stingy in, by instinct. Uh, it, or we find it easier to give some things and not others. It doesn't matter where we are. I think when we come to Christ, we come to faith, we, in, we, we come under the lordship of Christ, we come under his authority, and we say, okay, Lord, uh, I want you to build your foundations into my life. And, and that's what happens. Often we're broken. Sometimes our, the economy of our lives is broken. But if we start to look at some of the principles that you've learned through this series, or already I would imagine some of the basic principles of giving and management and all of that kind of stuff. Actually, if God puts his wisdom in uh, and his the foundations of his wisdom into our hearts and our lives and things begin to build and move and grow forward. So that is really, really important. So what I'd like us to do just for, say, 20 minutes I wonder if we can get into some groups together. And uh, there's three New Testament passages I'd like to like you to look at. Uh, there, there's Mark 12, 41 to 44. Uh, there's Luke 16, 10 to 13. And there's Luke 19, 11 to 27. And what I'd like you to do is to see if you can draw some headline financial principles from those passages what is it you, you see in there that that's kind of a principle an underlying truth uh, within the passage uh, that you could look at applying to your personal finances or your household finances uh, or even to the finances of your of your business so get into some groups for about 20 minutes have fun, discuss those things. Uh, if you want to take some feedback before you switch this video back on, that's entirely up to you, Sally. You you choose. You're the boss. Uh, but um, enjoy 20 minutes interacting with these scriptures and we'll be back together soon. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, brilliant, aren't they? Some of those New Testament passages. There's so, such a depth. Um, you know, they apply broadly and, and and more metaphorically or allegorically in our lives, but they also apply in a very deep and rooted way to, to the practicalities of the decisions we make, the way that we live, choices we make, and indeed, as we are noting, 
in the areas of our finances. So, well, when Maggie and I met, um, she was 16 and I was 22. I, I thought she was 18 and she thought I was 20. But there you are. You, yeah, you know, we, we were sort of uh, kind of deceived into that sort of framework. And, um, and we came from very different backgrounds and we both loved Jesus, 100% committed to God, but from really different really different backgrounds um you know margaret's very very academic she was on her way through it went into into private school through cambridge you know all of that and uh i dropped out of school um come from a slightly different framework shall we say uh in terms of, of outlook and very different outlook financially as well uh, margaret's parents were missionaries and uh, all around the world and you know very generous in terms of giving to God but led quite a frugal lifestyle I remember going on you know M Margaret's father you know um, lent me four thousand pounds to buy a house before I was even potential son-in-law um, uh, material because he could see I was going to plant a church and, and needed to have something behind me and I had nothing behind me so he lent me four thousand pounds, but when we went on holiday together, clearly had a, 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 a very sort of resentful attitude to the fact that I was I ordered a lemonade rather than drinking water. <laughs> so so there's a slightly so, so there's an incredible generosity, big things, important things, but they, but you know luxuries. No, they've been on the mission field for all those years. They were recycling plastic bags or whatever before anybody had thought of that kind of stuff. So they lived that that kind of mentality, that kind of life. Whereas I came from a different background. Um, my parents were your classic working class um, conservative voters, and uh, coming from that kind of framework, uh, my dad's attitude to money was you couldn't get him to spend any of it. Uh, my mother would spend it when he's not look when he wasn't looking. And she had a very robust and generous attitude uh, to finances. And so when Margaret and I came into marriage together, we, we had to kind of work out how we were going to give, what we were going to do. And when we had different attitudes, I remember one time when Margaret was a student, you know, she'd just done her first shop at the supermarket and had gone overdrawn for the first time in her life. And, and she was in tears on the other end of the phone. So I said, "Don't worry, I'll, I'll cover it." You know, so I just covered it with, with, with um, you know, with my, with my money. What I did tell her was that I had considerably more debt than her. What wasn't too worried about it at that stage of my life. Uh, so you you have different kind of mentalities and, and and attitudes that 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 came together. I mean, in the early days of when Revelation Church started, I left my job. And the, uh, Margaret and I weren't married at that stage. We were dating. And my, the, the rest of the leader said to me, look, you know, we'll give you £15 a week pocket money. And if and if we run out of money, we'll sell our cars. I mean, I looked at their cars. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to be eating very much if they sold those two things. They were breaking down every five minutes. So we started in that kind of a, of a framework. And, uh, and when we got married again, you know, we had to... Um, yeah, you know, Mark, so Margaret's father had lent me money to, to, and said to me, look, find someone else in the church, put a deposit together, put it down on a house. Um, you, you'll make money of that the way the market's going. That will help you as a leader 
have a good foundation, and that will help the church grow and plant. So think forward. So already I was learning from some wisdom uh, and and some investment, and it's made me want to help other people in in the same way. Uh, in the early stage days of our marriage, we couldn't really make ends meet. Uh, I got into you know the days when you could move credit card money from one card to another and avoid paying interest. Um, I, I did that for a while, uh, but in the end, we looked really long and hard at how could we how could we reduce our expenditure and avoid any form of interest because I think when you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament is not very favourable about interest. I don't object to sometimes people charging a small amount of interest if they're loaning to others, but really, you know, uh, it's not ideal, uh, shall we say. But um, it, it is what it is, and, and we kind of made our lives, kind of, we, we developed and that kind of thing. And, and what we real, what, where we came to initially was this idea that um, as we built our finances, we wanted the giving to come out first. We wanted to honour God first with all of anchor and that was our before any other bill went out our giving went out uh, i've always been a, a sort of a gross you know before tax if you're whatever if you're giving 10 percent, i've always done 10 percent before tax um, maggie and my accountant much prefers to do the 10 percent after tax <laughs> that's why he's an accountant but uh uh yeah Either way, it doesn't matter because the proportion goes up Mac, and we've always operated on the basis that, look, you know, tithing is a guideline. It doesn't have to be 10%. It can be 1%. It can be 2%. But the whole idea is do something that's realistic. Um, you know, if, if you've got big debts out there, you've got other issues out there, that those probably will need to be do, dealt with. So work out what is realistic to honour God and keep it moving in faith. I love the principle of graduated tithing, which I learned from, I think, Howard Schneider, I think it was, or one of those guys, where the idea is that you keep faith going. Because if you just give 10% or 2% or 3% of your income this year, and you're still on the same income, or maybe your income's gone up a little bit the next year, you're still giving that same percentage. Well, where's the faith? You need to always keep faith in your giving. So his idea is that year by year by year by year, your percentage of giving goes up. And at one stage, we, we managed to get to 18%, which was was really, really good. And we, we manage things differently now, but I think it's a, it's a that is a great principle. So the principle that we put in place was, one, that giving to God would go first. Two, that we would keep faith right at the heart of our giving. And that was what we wanted to do. And, uh, you know, life comes through a journey. You know, sometimes we have more cash. Sometimes we have others. We've gone through life where, you know, at one stage I was, uh, uh, you know, we were both earning. And another time I was the main earner. And the Margaret was going to, to study uh, to, to get her sort of psychosexual therapy qualifications so that she could start Life Centre. Uh, and then more recently, but after I handed over uh, Revelation Church and had diffusion over, I wasn't earning anything. And then Margaret ended up uh, as the one who's, you know, <laughs> earning all the money, fortunately. And, and you know, initially we were running, uh, living on quite a small budget, um, you know, giving individually. Now we're at the stage where, because we've got different things, we've got business, we've got different things happening. We are now givers. 
that we're now the people that when we were young and we were first married, there were people coming to us as church leaders saying to us, look, come, come away, come and stay in our house. Let us look after you. Remember this couple, David and Merrill Stanley. Um, he's now died and gone to be with the Lord very sadly. And, and when we were young, we, our children were small. They invited us off. They, they gave us hospitality. They covered all the food. They looked after us. They gave us a holiday when we couldn't have a holiday. They did all that kind of stuff. And now here we are where we are now. We've got, the Lord's given us, the, we're able to have leaders here, leaders, teams here. Well, not the moment. <laughs> Socially distanced, we've still got a bit of times when we were allowed in the garden. And now we can do it on the lake because it's a business. So, so, but there's, you know, the, the Lord kind of has turned it around. So now we've had to reorder our finances completely and give in, look at how, you know, we, we give more sub substantially and, and how and where we give. But still putting tithe principle right at the core but going above and beyond uh, all of that kind of stuff so you will you, you will all be here at different stages some of you will be right at the beginning um, you might even be students i mean our daughter chloe gave from always tight she tithed from a from a pocket money when it was pennies all the way through her grant <laughs> uh, and she's now you know and as you go through life if you learn to to do that uh, there is a principle, I believe, of faith and power and the spirit that gets released into your your life and your finances. And at least, you know, you, you know, you, you can see your, your investment going in things. I think it's absolutely a, a wonderful journey to have. So let's see our faith journey as a financial journey as well. That's really important. I think looking at our households is, is an interesting one. Um, you know, what is your calling? We always you know, we were deeply challenged by friends like David and Merrill that used to have us for their weekend. Uh, even, uh, well, leaders like uh, Gerald Coates, who uh, meant to me in the very early years, who used to open his house and have people in for these kind of parties and stuff like that. But it was a way of bringing leaders together and blessing people and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And, and you know, um he was a bit like my dad in some ways. I mean, I think in all the years, although I said that, you know, my dad was a bit stingy with passing with his cash. I, you know, he died at the age of 92. I don't think I ever bought any form of meal or beer or drink or anything at that time. It was uh, unthinkable uh, if we ever went out that I would ever pay for anything. Uh, and Gerald was a little bit like that. It's very generous. And I think you learn this principle of generosity. And we felt that as a couple that we wanted to have hospitality, we wanted to live in community. Um, and so you know, we needed a house of a certain size in order to do that. You needed to better fit more people in. We wanted to do hospitality, we wanted to have people around, people around for meals. It was a crazy thing to decide when we were both in leadership in church, both running things, both doing things, but it just seemed to be uh, what God wanted. And so there were two consequences to that. You know, one, you know, you, we needed to choose the area where we live rather than lived it needed to be strategic um, and we've got a number of people a Margaret's sister uh, moved into a, a council estate in, in Chichester 25 years or so she's still there right at the heart of the community associations regenerated the green done all sorts of things around it you know they made a decision they could have lived somewhere else but they they went right in there and, and the house is still 
It's, it's, it's a small house, but you look at the back garden, it's different to anything else. It's like an eco-zone. It's unbelievable, any of you know, Ruth Valeria. It's a super beautiful oasis of wildlife and everything in the middle of this estate. It's crazy. But that's her, that's her choice. That's where she's invested. And we've always uh, made the investments on the basis of, well, we want to have people uh, living with us, we want to build community. Uh, but in order to do that, uh, you know, we, we needed a tiny bit of support from parents, which we got. Uh, we also needed to have lodgers and people living with us. So we had usually we, we had two or three people living with us. You know, we, we, we could we could cope with one non-payer <laughs> and, 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 you know, a couple of cheap rents and we would just about float. And so for years we, we operated on that that kind of framework probably for the first 20 years or so of our marriage uh we we um we always had people living with us towards the end it was less important that they, they made contributions and you know we did on occasions have the house sort of damaged and we left out of pocket and hey ho praise the lord hallelujah um but but uh so we we had this sort of you know hospitality dimension and i think in the midst of that whatever your choice is that was our choice um, you know, look at these kind of decisions through the lens of faith. I've already said the first house I bought, that was God's provision because Margaret's father came along. Uh, a friend of mine also managed to get 4,000. We bought this, this was back in 1981 or something ridiculous. Uh, well, when we sold that, we, we made, <laughs> I think we made about 30 or 40,000 pounds each which was ridiculous. I had nothing, absolutely nothing, not a penny. You know, as I say, I was probably on about fifteen pounds a week at that stage, you know, in terms of like spending money. And but you know, uh, God, you know, did that. And then, then, you know, the next house we got was just round the corner. Again, a little bit more room near to where we were meeting as a church. Um, didn't make any money out of that one. We sold it in the middle of a recession. But we we were looking at a house around the corner. We we took two years looking for a bigger house. We didn't have more people living with us, and we we spent two years looking at different houses. But there was a house that I walked past every day that I used to pray and and say I like that house, and I walked past it every day. And um, one one day uh, a friend of mine told me it was on the market. I went round there, knocked on the door made the offer without the estate agents it was accepted on the spot and we were in there and uh that was amazing and then when we moved into our current place which backs onto our fishing business again that was a crazy i've got time to get a series of prophecies and prophetic words and but when we sold that previous property um the great thing is it was a property that when we bought it we bought it it was at the lower end of all the properties in the road. So anything we did to it, up the value. And so it proved to be a brilliant investment. So, and so God is, uh, God is good. And sometimes we have to think a little bit strategically. And that's been our thing over the years. If we're going to get a property, we look at having it at the right place, that it can fulfill the vision that God has given us. And we're also looking to steward it so we want to buy something that, that, bearing in mind we were leading a church, we couldn't really refurbish a lake. I mean, I can't even use a saw. Well, I can now, but, you know, but um, something that, you know, we could do a few things on and you could easily see that it's enhancing the, the, the investment. It's multiplying that which God has given us. And so that and that, praise God by his grace, that actually happened.
I mean, property is less easy to do that with today, unless you're very, very skilled. Things have changed. But the most important thing is that we build uh, build a lifestyle around our, you know, our, our choices. What kind of household do you want to live? What do you want to build? How do you want to live? How do you want to serve? What's your attitude to hospitality? How do you want your marriage to operate? In what context do you want to bring your children up? You invite the Lord into all of those decisions and then you make the decisions that are right for you. Our kind of crazy open hospitality house, you know, is is not for, for all. I mean, we even have to select a friendly dog because we have so many different people coming through the house. We need a dog that's going to love everybody, uh, you know, rather than one that's a little bit protective because it affects, so it affects everything. Uh, so so but we need to discern and and discern what's right for us and and what god is saying and then make good household choices out of that so i would like you to reflect in groups for a little while um and i, I you know regardless of your age whether you're married whether you're single whether you're a renter whether you're a house owner whether you're employed whether you're unemployed i want you to think and pray around some questions. Uh, well, this one main question really. What is my or our household plan for being a resource to the kingdom? So, the situation is what's the plan for you, for your household, to be a resource to the kingdom of God? That's a great question. Secondly, what might your living arrangements look like in the future? What is it you feel that God is calling you to? in terms of your house or your household being a place where God's kingdom can come and be spread. And then thirdly, are you called to build a household around hospitality? Or are you really, is that not your grace? Are you therefore called to support others who have this gift as they provide hospitality? Because it's such a key to the kingdom. So ask, ask those three questions and uh, enjoy and Sally you can give people as long as you like to outwork that so have fun well I hope that was that was interesting it's so important how how we live who we live with, our households, it's important to how we bring up our children. You know, everybody's different. Uh, but it's no accident that, you know, Chloe is so friendly to everybody and great at meeting new people because she's grown up in a house where, you know, new people are coming through uh, all, all the time. And different people have lived with us and etc. But you need to be sensible with seasons. I remember, where, as I said, we'd had people living with us for... 20, 25 years. And at one stage, I remember our son James, who was probably, I don't know, uh, 12, 13, 14, say to us, do we have to do this again? And I think it's because his heart had been broken because we'd had, you know, two people in a row that he'd really loved that lived with us for two, two years plus, And now they'd left. And he, you know, he found it very difficult, you know, when they left and, and didn't really want to have another person coming in. And I think we're also our life, our circumstances changed when Margaret began was working at Life Centre and was dealing with 
really traumatised people day in, day out. She couldn't really come home to the house and then, you know, have potentially people living with us who also needed quite a bit of investment. So at that stage, we made the decision before God and we took some advice from others that, you know what, we would just keep it to ourselves for a while and, and, and we would be giving elsewhere. And I think that's really important uh, for for marriage, for families, for, for singles living together, however you build your house. So just to think around what, what boundaries work for you and when and where sustainability is and where the grace of God is for you in that season. Don't be afraid to, to make decisions around all of that framework. Okay, pension. Ho -ho! Certainly it comes around rather quicker than one might have ideally wanted it to. Uh, I, I remember when I first went, uh, when I first left my job and went uh, full time for the church, I was probably, I don't know, early 20s, must have been, it was 1983. I went to see a guy called Rodney Kingston and he said two things to me. He said, well, Roger, the first thing you've got to learn to do is nothing, <laughs> which was really, really wise advice. Because you can see I was such an activist and out of sort of guilt that I was working for the church and all this, I was very likely to sort of grind myself into the ground. So his advice, you know, the first thing you need to learn to do is nothing. It was just so brilliant. And um, hold on, my wife is interrupting my talk and I can't pause the thing. What would you like? Come on, come and say hello to Proximity Church, babe. I'm talking all about you. She's going to... I, I can't use no there's no peace in this house <laughs> sorry everybody didn't realize what was going on just wanted to know whether to feed the dog or not <laughs> if you could feed even the dog is important in the kingdom of god yes if you could feed the dog that would be great and a, and a, and a cup of tea and some banana bread for me would be wonderful <laughs> things like i need to redeem myself with some banana bread see so, you later everybody so now where were we pensions um as I say, Rodney's first bit of advice for me was the first thing uh, that you need to do is nothing. He, the next thing he said to me, well, you know, think about some kind of investment for the future. I mean, in those days, uh, you know, so churches, now churches, uh, you know, we are obliged as not-for-profits to provide pensions and provide all sorts of things for people that work for us. I mean, in, in those days, it was absolutely nothing. And and it continued to be absolutely nothing to a few years ago. Dread, <laughs> I missed out on the curve. But, you know, it, it, that's the way it tended to be. So he said, I would start something. And so I did. I, 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 I got a, a pension, um, but I didn't have enough money to really pay much into it. And, and by the time the first recession hit, I can't remember what, in the 80s or something, I realised that it, it had sort of been skimmed back and it, you know, I'd have done better if I'd have, just put the money in a piggy bank rather than in that. So the first lesson on that is do do it, do make a provision, but do keep a handle on it, keep an eye on it, and do invest in it. And so I think depending on what your profession is, um, different professions, you know, if you're in the police or teaching or something like that, where there's government pensions that aren't quite like they were, but they're still very good, that's a great scenario and a great place to be in. But regardless of where you are, there is some kind of provision. And I think the way things are, although uh, we can we can rely on some government framework, it's good to look forward and to begin to think. Now, why, why is that? Well, for me as a church leader, I don't want 
you know, I get to a certain age and the children are thinking, oh, poor old Roger, you know, he's, he's not got anything, you know, he's, he's not, uh, we're going to have to do something, you know. I, I think we should take responsibility. I remember talking to one church leader, you know, recently, recently saying, you know, and he's in his mid-50s, and I said, well, have you made any provision? He said, well, you know, well, no, I haven't. And uh, I said, well, what are you going to do then? And he said, well, you know, well, what about honouring the church, honouring their elders? I said, well, you know, uh, there's there's plenty of honour in the church, you know. Once you've handed your roll over, there's just no money in it because really they've got to be paying younger leaders. The future is the younger leaders; it's not people like us. And so, you know, we've got to take responsibility now. Uh, you know what? I want to pass through this world uh, having made responsible decisions, hopefully having been blessed by God and grown, and if I haven't got hardly anything, well, then fine. But in an ideal world, I'd like to shuffle out the other end and, and leave the, the church and resources and people around in a better place than, than, I, than, than, than it was when, when I started. And so it's making good investments. So I think to think around provision for the future is a really good thing to do. And, you know, there, there's the possibility of investments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's a case of being creative in faith. Um, my main provision was 10 years ago when I had it over revs and, and fusion. Um, uh, I, I, my whole series of events, I met somebody and, uh, and we became business partners and, and we set up a fishing business. I would counsel against... If you're going to do something like that, you need to to have the skills. Um, and just because you're skilled in one thing doesn't mean that you're skilled in another. One of my one of our closest friends, who was a very very successful business consultant, decided that he was going to go into retailing, and you know probably lost all his resources, which is not ideal. Um, we went into fishing, which I've fished for forty years, and I've run syndicates and. Uh, my business partner uh, was, you know, also an, an expert in certain areas of fishery and fishery management, and so basically, you know, if we couldn't do it, who was going to? Who, who you know, what else could really? And that, in a sense, was a potential pension investment. We, we started a business with a ten-year business loan, with a clear business plan, which paid itself off in 10 years and so everything is now profit but we're not spending any of that it's just going into an account on the basis that we're not running it really as a business it's more of a, as a pension type fund so that's what we've looked at so I think for all of us as individuals and families as couples probably if you're in the early stage of your life it's less important um, although it's good if you could do something once you get into your 40s, you should be thinking a little bit more proactively. Uh, and when you get into your 50s, you should be thinking, hmm, yeah, okay, let's get moving. Um, some of us have parents who might be helping us out down the line, but I don't think that's any excuse for not being uh, responsible and thinking ahead in those kind of areas because we want to, again, be a resource to the kingdom and we want to bless and we want to give away. So boring as it may seem, it's worth starting early.
I mean, ultimately, I do believe that God provides, but that's no excuse for irresponsibility, is it? And, you know, so, so I think that's where we need to think strategically. Looking at investments, most of us haven't got enough resources to put it in the investments. But if you're going to do it, please make sure that you get proper advice. If you get um, financial advice, you better bear in mind that you'll be paying for it. And it's likely that they might be getting a consultancy fee. So I think before you go in that direction, I would get some wise advice from someone around you who you know is good in these kind of areas who can help you move forward. And uh, I think the key principle is that if anybody comes to you and says it's easy money, um, it's probably fraudulent, possibly illegal. Um, never buy, never buy anything on the phone. Never take buy anything without research. And you know the numbers of Christians that have been, you know, taken in by you know Ponzi schemes, even Christian leaders, where people have escaped. This is a great way of investing money in the kingdom. You you put a little bit of money in and you get it back. And you know, um, no, don't do it. You know, that long lost relative in Nigeria or China, <laughs> the inevitably doesn't exist. And why do that? Why are these schemes successful? They're successful because people don't think, they don't pray, and because everybody wants an easy buck. No one wants to really think ahead, pray ahead, invest strategically. And sometimes our attitudes to faith are a little bit like that. But I think. You know, there is, a, there is a faith that brings about a miracle in the now. And that does happen financially. I know someone who had pound notes appearing in a cupboard uh, that you know. But those are the exception and not the norm. The norm is faith is about building in line with God's kingdom. That doesn't always mean that what we invest grows it, uh, and that our blessing is in that kind of way. Sometimes our blessing is in other areas. But, it, but I think... You know, it is the wise person that builds the house upon the rock. And if we're built upon the rock, we will stand. So, uh, yeah, no, I think that's quite important. So uh, there we go. Mortgages and loans. Oh, dear. Oh, I'm feeling I'm feeling like my like a great uncle. Now, I, I mean, you're basically mortgages, are, mortgages as short as possible. Uh, depending on income. Um, repayment, please. One of the best advices I was giving in the 80s when, when I went to see a, bank, a building society manager, he said to me, look, I can make some money by selling you all sorts of different mortgages, but let me tell you, they won't, they won't be as solid as a repayment mortgage. So please, will you take one of these, please? So that was a great bit of advice. Friends of mine took other types of advice uh, uh, mortgages that actually ended up um you know with with not not enough money on the the associated insurance policy to pay off their mortgage they ended up with a gap and, and so make a good choice on the type of mortgage and you know in this climate there is the risk isn't there with any we, we with a mortgage or a fixed rate loan like we got on our business do you have a standard variable rate when we took the business loan we could have taken standard variable and the interest rate went down from, you know, the the two percent went down to virtually nothing, 
but it could have gone up. We didn't know. So we we looked at the next 10 years and thought, we'll just take 2% interest. And then we and we know exactly what we're going to pay for the whole length of that loan. And that worked brilliantly for us uh, as a business, even though we could have saved a little bit of money. But equally, we could have lost a bit of money. Usually with mortgages, you can only fix for 18 months, two years. But it's well worth researching. Um, and depending on where you're at, if your income management needs to be tight, sometimes fixing is better, even if it's a little more expensive. And of course, depending on what happens, you can actually save money by fixing. So again, compare some advice, think around, do price comparisons, talk with people around to find that kind of framework. Of course, it's ideal if we don't have to take any loans, but um, mortgages, generally speaking, are essential for most of us. Now, other loans, again, our principle when we first got married was, right, you know, we've got to get rid of those credit cards as soon as we can, which we did, and we'll never buy anything on a credit card, anything on a store card, or anything on the never-never. I mean, obviously, if you buy a car or a, car, a SETI or something like that, by the time you've paid for it, you, you, you're paying over the odds for a car and that by the time you've paid off is depreciated to a fraction of the value that it bought for at the beginning. So it's not a smart idea. Um, if you can possibly avoid it, um, save money, buy the thing uh, out. Um, save with the sofa. You know, there's absolutely no point in buying a sofa free, free for four years or something. <laughs> by the time you've paid it off, the thing is falling to pieces and the dog's eating it to death. You know, uh, I think saving is always a better option and even if you're saving for nothing it's worth saving because you can bless people out of that saving you can bless yourself out of that saving uh, you can honor god out of that saving and you are not furnishing some godless institution that's threshing the poor through charging um, immoral amounts of interest and in my view anything over four percent is immoral um, and below that's not desirable cheers so uh, I would um, with loans you know be careful I think if you're in debt and you've got broader issues with, with debt you can get advice from someone alongside you who can help you with that organisations like CAP are really good um, Christians Against Poverty if that's the stage that you're in and my experience is that as we begin to give our lives to Christ and we get our lives in order, we get our priorities in order, we get our expenditure in control, we look really carefully all the way through everything we're spending, we make sure that it's, it's well managed. If we can do that and we can get help to help us do that, that God begins to put foundations in place, we begin to enjoy a slightly better framework. It's difficult in the current employment market, uh, but again, that's where we think, start to think smart. And sometimes we just have to do what we have to do. You know, Paul was a tent maker. He spent a lot of his time making tents. Uh, and you know, probably most archaeologists and most, you know, most theologians think that when he was in Rome, when he went to Rome, that's probably what he was doing. Possibly doing it in Corinth too. Um, it certainly wasn't getting income from the churches, so he was generating his own resources and income. And sometimes we just need to 
focus on, on that framework to facilitate the life and the work of the kingdom in our lives and hearts. So with uh, savings, we won't be gaining much by way of interest at the moment. If we've got any money in our savings accounts, it's absolutely useless. Uh, yet at the same time, you know, we are then able to pay things for things straight away rather than monthly. So you're saving on all those other areas, if you like, because you have the cash there to, to buy things outright uh, and to give in that kind of way. So it's well worth however many years it takes you to get into the place where you can save a little something. It's pretty, it's, it's well worth looking at that kind of framework. So advice let's conclude we're going to go into some groups for one more uh, conversation shortly i think in, in any area of financially if you it's worth taking expert advice it, it is worth um certainly worth researching it's certainly worth doing as many different comparisons as you can but bear in mind that if you're getting expert advice you will pay for it pay for it a lot of things are common sense uh, I think next I would say be accountable to friends. Talk to wise people around you over decisions. Never allow your excitement uh, about a project, uh, a purchase, a holiday, a new car or a settee or a toaster or any item. Never allow your excitement about that possibility um, shroud your uh, better instincts and decision-making, you know, faculties. Always take a good, long, hard look at it. And in any, any project, have a uh, worst-case scenario plan. If you're going to do a business or some kind of plan, don't put your house on the line. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're going to put it, make sure it's a small part of your house that's on the line that, you, that if you were to lose that money, you could cover it up through your savings or extra income. So what I'm saying is, you know, think about the consequences at all times. And, uh, you know, sometimes faith is about walking on water, but we, you know, also are called to lay some proper foundations in our lives and in our hearts. You know, some people thought we were bonkers going and buying a lake that was all covered in trees everywhere and you know how on earth are you it's a monster of a project uh, and it took faith but on the one hand there was also a lot of wisdom behind it and, and a lot of insight that we could see how this thing could could work and could work out last bit of advice i would give you never buy anything over, over the phone never buy anything from a cold contact Never buy anything under time pressure without time to reflect. Always read the small print. Always compare prices. And any purchase whatsoever that you make, make sure that you have the initiative. Never buy it as a result of someone emailing you, someone contacting you, someone phoning you. Do it on the basis that before God, in your framework, in your life, you've decided now is the time you want to make this purchase. And so you go, you make this purchase on your terms that way invariably things turn out better so there endeth the first lesson now hopefully this is useful um it's just wisdom a lot of what i've said is not 
it, you know, it's hopefully it flows within the framework of scripture. Some of it most definitely is biblical. Uh, some of it, if I'd have had more time, I could have demonstrated by the use of scriptures. Others of it is just life experience. Um, you know, weigh it yourself before God in prayer up against your own knowledge of scripture. Uh, and, but I would encourage you to think very, very carefully how you manage your life. It, it's well worth it. Um, I've always spent time, I, I, and again, within marriages, I think, that, you know, sometimes it's the wife who's the better one at managing the finances. Sometimes it's the husband that's the better one if you're married. Um, different households have models. You know, Margaret and I, is, I, I, I do the bookkeeping. I do a lot of the management. Um, we always, at different stages of our lives, if we're spending a, a, above a certain amount, we talk it through with the other person. I'll have a I'll have a five minutes with Margaret every month and update her as to what's going on, get her feelings into the mix. We need to pray. We we to talk over our giving. Um, we we give regularly every every month, but we also give quarterly, and and then we we will sit down quarterly. We'll pray. We'll think. Well, who do we want to give to? What do we want to give to? How do we want to invest? And I think that just keeps the life of God through the practical and financial management of our lives which is really really important so one more thing or a few more questions for you to look at in groups which i think are really good things to ask all of us come into our, our households or our marriages or our relationships or whatever we, we all inherit attitudes to finances from our families so the first thing i want you to ask and to just discuss in your groups is what has been the attitude to finance that you might have inherited from your upbringing? <laughs> That's a great question. Now, secondly, which of those attitudes have you carried with you into the way you have managed your finances and which have you rejected? So in our, in our marriage, we, we definitely carried through Margaret's parents' attitude to, to, to saving, to giving, to interest, all of that. But we've rejected <laughs> the we won't buy lemonade thing because we've wanted to enjoy things like lemonade ourselves, but also when people come round, we want to bless them with those kind of things. So we have probably been much freer in areas of spending in those areas around hospitality and enjoying things than Margaret's parents. So some things we brought in and others we haven't. Uh, my mother would be recklessly generous <laughs> uh, in certain areas. Uh, to be fair, so would my father. So there's certain things that from my father blessing people, taking people out for meals that we've certainly brought into place and the generosity of my, my mum. But, you know, we've got some management behind. So there are things that we brought in, things that we brought out. So what have you, how's that affected you? Um, and then the last question is, what are the key areas where you feel the Lord challenging you concerning your finances? So, Again, Sally, over to you. If you tell people how long you want them to go into their groups and they can come back in and I'll just do like two minutes.
conclusion, one minute or whatever. Have fun. Well, welcome back. <laughs> I hope that question wasn't too difficult to answer. And uh, you know, some of these things need further reflection. You know, even within marriage relationships, it need further further reflection because you know they finances within any house and expenditure and all all of that can cause tensions. You know, where one partner has a hobby, perhaps. Um, expenditure on hobbies can be attention expenditure you know what you what, what you spend your money on food clothes whatever how you do your all of those things are things that you know prayerfully and relationally we need to work through and, and there aren't all there aren't you know steadfast rights and wrongs in many ways that the principles are there of you know sacrificial giving generosity um you know living within our means building you know investing hopefully you know the of the things that god has given us seeing them grow and multiply and not shrink away um you know investing in heaven loving god not but all those sort of principles that that those are but, but they outwork differently in different places you know, there are some people that are that find themselves living a much more frugal lifestyle that's their calling and that's their place so other people that God has given significant resources to because he wants them to redirect those resources and give those resources and work in that kind of sphere. Um, that is just the way it is. And I think when we look at the New Testament church, if we had time, we would see some of those dynamics at work for sure. But our money and possessions are a great resource and they're there to bless others and for us to enjoy. Uh, in and of themselves, they are not able to bring us happiness and fulfillment those things are found in relationship with god in relationship with community friendships family people around us the fulfillment and satisfaction is so much deeper than that let's learn to to hold the things that we possess and that we own and our resources loosely and see all that we have as a god-given resource uh, that can facilitate his kingdom and bless others and as an investment in in eternity rather than something that we want to hold on in the now so i hope this has been useful it's been fun to to be with you this morning and to to, to reflect this reflect around these kind of areas and uh, let's pray together lord i want to pray for everybody here right now that uh, the anointing of your spirit will come upon them and that, that you will impart your faith and your wisdom uh, to them and that each person will have a passion to see their lives built on the foundation that is Christ and will have a passion to see the dynamics of your spirit at work in the way they run and manage their everyday homes, the way they do hospitality, the way they buy food, the way they cook, the way they give the way they give their time, the way they relax, all of this, Lord, that, that there will be a, a, an economy of the spirit for every single individual. And that this will bless the community of proximity. The proximity will be really rich in grace, rich in love, rich in generosity, rich in the resources of the kingdom that, that can be spread around 
uh, the, the, all the environments that the church, the church touches. So, Lord, thank you for that. And be with all of them, I pray. Pray for the leadership team. Pray for every member of the church, every community, every household. Just fill them all with the riches of your spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. See you soon. Lots of love to you all.